just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, welcome back to 
People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's one of our reading episodes, and this episode we will be going through, let's see, it's the Renkitink, Rintinkatink, oh, you know, our reader does it way better than I do, Rintinkatink in Oz. So yeah, this is, what, the 7th, 8th, 12th book in the Oz series? It's getting in there, we're getting in there, yeah. And I'm going to chop this up into 12 parts, so there's going to be two two chapters each, each, each episode. So, hey, we've got that for the month of October, and maybe I'll throw in some ghost stories at the end of the month. Don't hold me to any of that, because I'm not 100% sure how October is going to go. And if you are lucky enough, at the very beginning of October, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and there is also going to be a second H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival that's going to be less in person and more of a streaming thing. Check us out on there. Dave's got some stuff going on on that. I'm going to have some stuff going on on that. And also, I'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, Taza Chocolate, Stone Ground Chocolate. And you know what? This is super minimally processed. If you're like me and you have a bunch of food allergies, you can't do dairy, they have dairy-free chocolates. They, they, they use dairy alternatives, uh, minimally processed, of course, organic. I love them. You love them. Taza Chocolates, they, they come in those discs that you can break up and put into hot beverages and stir up. Ooh, I love it so much. Anyway, Oz. So why not, I don't know, sit down with a nice warm beverage. We've got the tea that you can get. We've got the coffee you can get. I don't know, maybe microwave some psychedelic water, baby. All right, here's some Oz. Let's get weird. Chapter 9, A Present for Zello. Now it so happened that on the morning of that same day, when the Prince of Pingaree suffered the loss of his priceless shoes, there chanced to pass along the road that wound beside the royal palace a poor charcoal-burner named Nicobob, who was about to return to his home in the forest. Nicobob carried an axe and a bundle of torches over his shoulder, and he walked with his eyes to the ground, being deep in thought as to the strange manner in which the powerful King Goss and his city had been conquered by a boy prince who had come from Pingaree. Suddenly the charcoal burner espied a shoe lying upon the ground just beyond the high wall of the palace and directly in his path. He picked it up, and seeing it was a pretty shoe, although much too small for his own foot, he put it in his pocket. Soon after, on turning a corner of the wall, Nicobob came to a dust heap where, lying amidst a mass of rubbish, was another shoe, the mate to the one he had before found. This also he placed in his pocket, saying to himself, I have now a fine pair of shoes for my daughter Zella, who will be much pleased to find I have brought her a present from the city. And while the charcoal-burner turned into the forest and trudged along the path toward his home, Inga and Rinky-Tink were still searching for the missing shoes. Of course, they could not know that Nicobob had found them, nor did the honest man think he had taken anything more than a pair of cast-off shoes which nobody wanted. Nicobob had several miles to travel through the forest, before he could reach the little log cabin, where his wife as well as his little daughter Zella awaited his return. 
but he was used to long walks, and tramped along the path whistling cheerfully to beguile the time. Few people, as I said before, ever passed through the dark and tangled forests of Regos, except to go to the mines in the mountain beyond, for many dangerous creatures lurked in the wild jungles, and King Goss never knew, when he sent a messenger to the mines, whether he would reach there safely or not. The charcoal-burner, however, knew the wild forest well, and especially this part of it lying between the city and his home. It was the favorite haunt of the ferocious beast, Choggenmugger, dreaded by every dweller in the island of Regos. Choggenmugger was so old that everyone thought it must have been there since the world was made, and every year of its life the huge scales that covered its body grew thicker and harder, and its jaws grew wider, and its teeth grew sharper, and its appetite grew more keen than ever. In former ages there had been many dragons in Regos, but Chuggenmugger was so fond of dragons that he had eaten all of them long ago. There had also been great serpents and crocodiles in the forest marshes, but all had gone to feed the hunger of Chuggenmugger. The people of Regos knew well there was no use opposing the great beast. So when one unfortunately met with it, he gave himself up for lost. All this Nicobob knew well, but fortune had always favored him in his journey through the forest, and although he had at times met many savage beasts and fought them with his sharp axe, he had never to this day encountered the terrible Choggenmugger. Indeed, he was not thinking of the great beast at all as he walked along, but suddenly he heard a crashing of broken trees, and felt a trembling of the earth, and saw the immense jaws of Choggenmugger opening before him. Then Nicobob gave himself up for lost, and his heart almost ceased to beat. He believed there was no way of escape. No one ever dared oppose Choggenmugger. But Nicobob hated to die without showing the monster in some way that he was eaten only under protest. So he raised his axe and brought it down upon the red protruding tongue of the monster and cut it clean off. For a moment the charcoal burner scarcely believed what his eyes saw for he knew nothing of the pearls he carried in his pocket or the magic power they lent his arm. His success, however, encouraged him to strike again, and this time the huge scaly jaw of Choggenmugger was severed in twain, and the beast howled in terrified rage. Nicobob took off his coat to give himself more freedom of action, and then he earnestly renewed the attack. But now the axe seemed blunted by the hard scales, and made no impression upon them whatever. The creature advanced with glaring wicked eyes, and Nicobob seized his coat under his arm and turned to flee. That was foolish, for Chuggenmugger could run like the wind. 
In a moment it overtook the charcoal burner and snapped its four rows of sharp teeth together. But they did not touch Nicobob, because he still held the coat in his grasp, close to his body, and in the coat pocket were Inga's shoes, and in the points of the shoes were the magic pearls. Finding himself uninjured, Nicobob put on his coat, again seized his axe, and in a short time had chopped Choggenmugger into many small pieces, a task that proved not only easy, but very agreeable. "'I must be the strongest man in the world,' thought the charcoal-burner, as he proudly resumed his way. "'For Choggenmugger has been the terror of Regos since the world began, and I alone have been able to destroy the beast. Yet it is singular that never before did I discover how powerful a man I am.' He met no further adventure, and at midday reached a small clearing in the forest, where stood his humble cabin. "'Great news! I have great news for you!' he shouted, as his wife and little daughter came to greet him. "'King Goss has been conquered by a boy prince from the far island of Pingaree, and I have this day, unaided, destroyed Choggenmugger by the might of my strong arm.' This was indeed great news. They brought Nicobob into the house, and set him in an easy chair, and made him tell everything he knew about the Prince of Pingaree and the fat King of Gilgad, as well as the details of his wonderful fight with the mighty Choggenmugger. "'And now, my daughter,' said the charcoal-burner, when all his news had been related for at least a third time, here is a pretty present I have brought you from the city. With this he drew the shoes from the pocket of his coat, and handed them to Zella, who gave him a dozen kisses in payment, and was much pleased with her gift. The little girl had never worn shoes before, for her parents were too poor to buy her such luxuries, so now the possession of these, which were not much worn, filled the child's heart with joy. She admired the red leather, and the graceful curl of the pointed toes. When she tried them on her feet, they fitted as well as if made for her. All the afternoon, as she helped her mother with the housework, Zella thought of her pretty shoes. They seemed more important to her than the coming to Regos of the conquering Prince of Pingaree, or even the death of Choggenmugger. When Zella and her mother were not working in the cabin, cooking or sewing, they often searched the neighboring forest for honey, which the wild bees cleverly hid in hollow trees. The day after Nicobob's return, as they were starting out after honey, Zella decided to put on her new shoes, as they would keep the twigs that covered the ground from hurting her feet. She was used to the twigs, of course. But what is the use of having nice, comfortable shoes if you do not wear them? So she danced along very happily, followed by her mother, and presently they came to a tree in which was a deep hollow. Zella thrust her hand and arm into the space, and found that the tree was full of honey, so she began to dig it out with a wooden paddle. 
Her mother, who held the pail, suddenly cried in warning, Look out, Zella, the bees are coming. And then the good woman ran fast toward the house to escape. Zella, however, had no more than time to turn her head when a thick swarm of bees surrounded her, angry because they had caught her stealing their honey, and intent on stinging the girl as a punishment. She knew her danger, and expected to be badly injured by the multitude of stinging bees, but to her surprise the little creatures were unable to fly close enough to her to stick their dart-like stingers into her flesh. They swarmed about her in a dark cloud, and their angry buzzing was terrible to hear, yet the little girl remained unharmed. When she realized this, Zella was no longer afraid, but continued to ladle out the honey until she had secured all that was in the tree. Then she returned to the cabin, where her mother was weeping and bemoaning the fate of her darling child, and the good woman was greatly astonished to find Zella had escaped injury. Again they went into the woods to search for honey, and although the mother always ran away whenever the bees came near them, Zella paid no attention to the creatures but kept at her work, so that before supper-time came the pails were again filled to overflowing with delicious honey. "'With such good fortune as we have had this day,' said her mother, "'we shall soon gather enough honey for you to carry to Queen Cor. "'For it seems the wicked queen was very fond of honey, "'and it had been Zella's custom to go once every year "'to the city of Corrigos to carry the queen a supply of sweet honey for her table. "'Usually she had but one pail. "'But now,' said Zella, I shall be able to carry two pails full to the queen, who will, I am sure, give me a good price for it. True, answered her mother, and as the boy prince may take it into his head to conquer Corrigos as well as Regos, I think it best for you to start on your journey to Queen Cor tomorrow morning. Do you not agree with me, Nigabob? she asked, turning to her husband, the charcoal burner, who was eating his supper. "'I agree with you,' he replied. "'If Zella must go to the city of Corrigos, she may as well start to-morrow morning.'" End of chapter 9 Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. 
You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic Water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Though Larry, fine, fine student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Glary. Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design, not graphic design, graphic novels for you. Thanks from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGTTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at uh, what, what, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors. Yeah, you can get some Delta Eight, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta Eight, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos, they've got drums, they've got amplifiers, they've got guitars, they've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner. And check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Chapter 10, The Cunning of Queen Carr. You may be sure the Queen of Corrigos was not well pleased to have King Goss and all his warriors living in her city after they had fled from their own. 
They were savage-natured and quarrelsome men at all times, and their tempers had not improved since their conquest by the Prince of Pingaree. Moreover, they were eating up Queen Cor's provisions, and crowding the houses of her people, who grumbled and complained until their queen was heartily tired. "'Shame on you,' she said to her husband, King Goss, "'to be driven out of your city by a boy.' a roly-poly king and a billy-goat. Why do you not go back and fight them? No human can fight against the powers of magic, returned the king in a surly voice. That boy is either a fairy or under the protection of fairies. We escaped with our lives only because we were quick to run away. But should we return to Regos, the same terrible power that burst open the city gates would crush us all to atoms. "'Bah! You are a coward!' cried the queen, tauntingly. "'I am not a coward,' said the big king. "'I have killed in battle scores of my enemies. By the might of my sword and my good right arm, I have conquered many nations. All my life people have feared me, but no one would dare face the tremendous power of the Prince of Pingaree, boy though he is. It would not be courage, it would be folly to attempt it. Then meet his power with cunning, suggested the queen. Take my advice, and steal over to Regos at night, when it is dark, and capture or destroy the boy while he sleeps. No weapon can touch his body, was the answer. He bears a charmed life and cannot be injured. Does the fat king possess magic powers, or the goat? inquired Kor. I think not, said Goss. We could not injure them, indeed, any more than we could the boy, but they did not seem to have any unusual strength, although the goat's head is harder than a battering ram. Well, mused the queen, there is surely some way to conquer that slight boy. If you are afraid to undertake the job, I shall go myself. By some stratagem I shall manage to make him my prisoner. He will not dare to defy a queen, and no magic can stand against a woman's cunning. Go ahead if you like, replied the king with an evil grin. And if you are hung up by the thumbs or cast into a dungeon, it will serve you right for thinking you can succeed where a skilled warrior dares not make the attempt. I'm not afraid, answered the queen. It is only soldiers and bullies who are cowards. In spite of this assertion, Queen Cor was not so brave as she was cunning. For several days she thought over this plan and that, and tried to decide which was most likely to succeed. She had never seen the boy prince, but had heard so many tales of him from the defeated warriors and especially from Captain Buzzub, that she had learned to respect his power. Spurred on by the knowledge that she would never get rid of her unwelcome guests until Prince Inga was overcome and Regos regained for King Goss, the Queen of Corrigos finally decided to trust to luck and her native wit to defeat a simple-minded boy, however powerful he might be. Inga could not suspect what she was going to do, because she did not know herself. 
she intended to act boldly and trust a chance to win. It is evident that had the cunning queen known that Inga had lost all his magic, she would not have devoted so much time to the simple matter of capturing him, but like all others she was impressed by the marvelous exhibition of power he had shown in capturing Regos, and had no reason to believe the boy was less powerful now. One morning Queen Kor boldly entered a boat, and, taking four men with her as an escort and bodyguard, was rowed across the narrow channel to Regos. Prince Inga was sitting in the palace playing checkers with King Rinkitink, when a servant came to him, saying that Queen Kor had arrived and desired an audience with him. With many misgivings, lest the wicked queen discover that he had now lost his magic powers, the boy ordered her to be admitted, and she soon entered the room and bowed low before him in mock respect. Kor was a big woman, almost as tall as King Goss. She had flashing black eyes, and the dark complexion you see on gypsies. Her temper, when irritated, was something dreadful, and her face wore an evil expression which she tried to cover by smiling sweetly, often when she meant the most mischief. "'I have come,' said she in a low voice, "'to render homage to the noble prince of Pingaree.' I am told that your highness is the strongest person in the world, and invincible in battle, and therefore I wish you to become my friend rather than my enemy." Now Inga did not know how to reply to this speech. He disliked the appearance of the woman, and was afraid of her, and he was unused to deception, and did not know how to mask his real feelings. So he took time to think over his answer which he finally made in these words. I have no quarrel with your majesty, and my only reason for coming here is to liberate my father and mother and my people, whom you and your husband have made your slaves, and to recover the goods King Goss has plundered from the island of Pingaree. This I hope soon to accomplish, and if you really wish to be my friend, you can assist me greatly." While he was speaking, Queen Kor had been studying the boy's face stealthily from the corners of her eyes, and she said to herself, "'He is so small and innocent, and I believe I can capture him alone and with ease. He does not seem very terrible, and I suspect that King Goss and his warriors were frightened at nothing.' Then, aloud, she said to Inga, I wish to invite you, mighty prince, and your friend, the great king of Gilgad, to visit my poor palace at Korygos, where all my people shall do you honor. Will you come?" "'At present,' replied Inga uneasily, "'I must refuse your kind invitation. There will be feasting, and dancing girls, and games, and fireworks,' said the queen, speaking as if eager to entice him and at each word coming a step nearer to where he stood. "'I could not enjoy them while my poor parents are slaves,' said the boy sadly. "'Are you sure of that?' asked Queen Gore, and by that time she was close beside Inga, 
Suddenly she leaned forward and threw both her long arms around Inga's body, holding him in a grasp that was like a vice. Now Rinkitink sprang forward to rescue his friend, but Carr kicked out viciously with her foot and struck the king squarely on his stomach, a very tender place to be kicked, especially if one is fat. Then, still hugging Inga tightly, the queen called aloud, "'I've got him! Bring in the ropes!' Instantly the four men she had brought with her sprang into the room and bound the boy hand and foot. Next they seized Rinkitink, who was still rubbing his stomach, and bound him likewise. With a laugh of wicked triumph, King Cor now led her captives down to the boat and returned with them to Corygos. Great was the astonishment of King Goss and his warriors when they saw that the mighty Prince of Pingaree, who had put them all to flight, had been captured by a woman. Cowards as they were, they now crowded around the boy and jeered at him, and some of them would have struck him had not the queen cried out, "'Hands off! He is my prisoner. Remember, not yours!' "'Well, Cor, what are you going to do with him?' inquired King Goss. "'I shall make him my slave, that he may amuse my idle hours.' For he is a pretty boy and gentle, although he did frighten all of you big warriors so terribly. The king scowled at this speech, not liking to be ridiculed, but he said nothing more. He and his men returned that same day to Regos, after restoring the bridge of boats, and they held a wild carnival of rejoicing, both in the king's palace and in the city, although the poor people of Regos, who were not warriors, were all sorry that the kind young prince had been captured by his enemies and could rule them no longer. When her unwelcomed guests had all gone back to Regos, and the queen was alone in her palace, she ordered Inga and Rinkitink brought before her and their bonds removed. They came, sadly enough, knowing they were in serious straits, and at the mercy of a cruel mistress. Inga had taken counsel of the White Pearl, which had advised him to bear up bravely under his misfortune, promising a change for the better very soon. With this promise to comfort him, Inga faced the queen with a dignified bearing that indicated both pride and courage. "'Well, youngster,' said she in a cheery tone, because she was pleased with her success. You played a clever trick on my poor husband and frightened him badly, but for that prank I am inclined to forgive you. Hereafter I intend you to be my page, which means that you must fetch and carry for me at my will, and let me advise you to obey my every whim without question or delay, for when I am angry I become ugly, and when I am ugly someone is sure to feel the lash." Do you understand me?" Inga bowed, but made no answer. Then she turned to Rinkitink and said, "'As for you, I cannot decide how to make you useful to me, as you are altogether too fat and awkward to work in the fields. It may be, however, that I can use you as a pincushion.' "'What?' cried Rinkitink in horror. "'Would you stick pins into the King of Gilgad?' "'Why not? 
returned Queen Cor. You are as fat as a pincushion, as you must yourself admit, and whenever I need a pin I could call you to me. Then she laughed at his frightened look, and asked, By the way, are you ticklish? This was the question Rinky-Tink had been dreading. He gave a moan of despair and shook his head. I should love to tickle the bottom of your feet with a feather, continued the cruel woman. Please take off your shoes. Oh, your majesty, pleaded poor Rinky-Tink. I beg you to allow me to amuse you in some other way. I can dance, or I can sing you a song. Well, she answered, shaking with laughter, you may sing a song, if it be a merry one. But you do not seem in a merry mood. I feel merry indeed, your majesty, I do, protested Rinky-Tink, anxious to escape the tickling. But even as he professed to feel merry, his round red face wore an expression of horror and anxiety that was really comical. "'Sing, then,' commanded Queen Cor, who was greatly amused. Rinky-Tink gave a sigh of relief, and after clearing his throat and trying to repress his sobs, he began to sing this song, gently at first, but finally roaring it out at the top of his voice. "'Oh, there was a baby tiger lived in a menagerie.' Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, they wouldn't set him free, and everybody thought that he was gentle as could be. Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, baby tiger. Oh, they patted him upon his head and shook him by the paw. Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, he had a bone to gnaw. But soon he grew the biggest tiger that you ever saw. Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, what a tiger! Oh, one day they came to pet the brute, and he began to fight. Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, how he did scratch and bite. He broke the cage, and in a rage he darted out of sight. Fizzy, fezzy, fuzzy, was a tiger. Ah, and is there a moral to the song? asked Queen Cor, when King Rinkitink had finished his song with great spirit. If there is, replied Rinkitink, it is a warning not to fool with tigers. The little prince could not help smiling at this shrewd answer, but Queen Cor frowned and gave the king a sharp look. Oh, said she, I think I know the difference between a tiger and a lap-dog, but I'll bear the warning in mind just the same. For, after all her success in capturing them, she was a little afraid of these people who had once displayed such extraordinary powers. End of chapter 10 Show notes. Check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and t-shirts and stickers and high fives all right thanks everyone we'll see you later hey everyone thanks again for listening to the show music is by me db spitzer edited and produced by me db spitzer the interview portions are always edited and produced by david heath 
And hey, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. So check out pgttcm.com. And if you don't want to check out the Patreon, if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show, just go to sponsors or buy t-shirts or anything like that. Anything helps. Thank you again.